This is Localization Today, a podcast from multilingual media covering the most relevant daily news in the language industry. Welcome back to the booth. We're here with Amy Ansari. Do I say it right? Yes, you do. Okay, good. Executive Director at Clear Global, formerly TWB, Translators Without Borders. Although I have been hearing that name again, or is it just sticking because it's just such an amazing nonprofit organization? What do you think? Hi, thanks so much for having me. So Translators Without Borders always existed and always exists and still exists and always will exist. Translators Without Borders is the community of over 100,000 linguists who volunteer for the organization. The Clear Global brand is really an expression of what we do beyond the translation. So it's the research, the language technology, the international programming, the training, all of that. So we still have both. Clear Global and Translators Without Borders. Thank you for clarifying that, and I apologize for not knowing. I should remind us of how this got started and what the main goal is, because we tend to focus a lot at these conferences and also just in the general conversation on on, on, on the business-to-business side of, of what's being done, and you're doing something so completely different, and I know you're very humble and you take a back seat oftentimes, but please tell us what what you're doing and, and how it came about. Yeah, so Transfers Without Borders was founded in 1993 as Traducteur Sans Frontières by Laurie Thicke in Paris. But in 2010, there was an earthquake in Haiti, you may recall, and that's when Translators Without Borders U.S. started. And we really started from the, the basis of most humanitarian organizations were working in big languages, French, Russian, Spanish, you know, those languages. And during the Haiti earthquake, they were coming to TWB and saying, can you translate into French? And Laurie and the team were saying, but you know they speak Haitian Creole, right? And so we have grown and evolved from there. The organization, we have changed a lot of what we do since then and changed the way we operate. We merged with the Rosetta Foundation in 2017, so got that technology and that community in a whole different way of really working. And then two, three years ago, we evolved the brand into Clear Global, and the mission statement got updated with that so that we weren't always talking about translation. We were talking much more broadly about communication and supporting people, particularly people who speak low-resource languages, to get information and be heard whatever language they speak. And I think that be heard bit is really, really important. Translation tends to be, you know, you have something on a piece of paper or on a screen, you put it in another language and you send it off. But there's no two way about that. You know, it's a one way communication. And what we really want to do is is support people who speak those marginalized languages, who speak low resource languages, to have a voice so that their opinions can be heard in global conversations about climate change, for example. You know, they're the most affected by climate change and their voices are really important in those conversations about how we stop climate change and stop the, the disaster that's impending and is happening now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a lot of what we're trying to do. Thank you. And out of all the humanitarian projects that you have been involved with, for you personally, which one uh, touched you the most or are you? which one do you recognize as the most meaningful part of your work so far? 
Ah, oh, wow, that's a really tough question. We've done a lot of really interesting work. I mean, one of the things we started was the Humanitarian to Humanitarian Network. We were one of the founders of the Humanitarian to Humanitarian Network, which is like the B2B space in, in, in industry. And that has been really interesting because that means that we are now like uh, local like localization like LSPs one of those absolutely critical core parts of humanitarian response and so when i'm when i'm looking at you know what we've done as an organization it's hard for me to say it's this project or that country or this what i think we've been able to do as an organization and with the support of this industry is to become an absolutely integral part of what they do and what they think about. You know, getting indicators into needs assessments about what languages people speak, literacy rates, how people like to have communications, who they trust. You know, that wasn't done uh, until just a few years ago. And that was done as a result of the research that we've done and the hard work that our teams have done around the world and the support of the industry. Yeah. And, and did you also did you also play a role in the COVID pandemic and providing information, especially to people who are, you know, illiterate or have never been been taught to read? You know, I, I imagine that a humanitarian crisis of that scale um, needs a really fast response, and in all corners of the world, did did you do anything with that? Oh yes. <laughs> Um, that was quite a challenging period um, for everybody in the world. Uh, and I, I think, you know, in some ways we were very fortunate in the humanitarian world because we could do something. You know, we could respond, we could be helping other people, there was something we could do. And so what we did was we worked together with some of the big language tech companies in the world to develop glossaries on COVID-19 terminology in 42 languages, to get that around the world uh, to help communicators and healthcare providers. We built a multilingual conversational AI chatbots in low resource languages like Lingala and Fulfulde, so people could get information, you know, could ask questions and get information, you know, conversationally, not as a part of a menu or something like that. We also did social media monitoring in, I can't remember how many languages, a lot of languages. Monitoring for what, misinformation? Yeah, for misinformation and disinformation and reporting that. So, yeah, we had it because we have the community of over 100,000 linguists who were very able and willing to help monitor the media and point and then get out information when, you know, one of the things was to say what is the disinformation or misinformation, feed that into the communicators of the world so that they could either counter it or answer questions that where there were gaps in information. Yeah. Yeah. And are those linguists all volunteers? All of them are, at the beginning, volunteers. Sometimes we have paid tasks depending on what, you know, what's, what, the, what the project is about, what the turnaround times are, and things like that. But uh, mostly they're volunteers. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And then how, how, is, how are the efforts funded? What do, you, what do you do for funding and what do you need from the community? So we are very fortunate to have sponsors in the localization industry, and that is the vast majority of the best money that we have that we can use to make sure that we're prepared 
to respond to a crisis instead of having to sort of scramble around. We've now professionalized how we respond, and we can do that thanks to the core funding that we're getting from the industry and from countless thousands and thousands of individuals within the industry as well. I, I think that those sponsors, those supporters, could they deserve to be called out. Would you? Are you able to name a couple of names? Well, our two biggest sponsors are RWS and Semantics. And it is Semantics, um, that's what they've asked for. RWS and Semantics, Translated is also a big a sponsor. Smartling is another big sponsor of ours. So, yeah, no, we've got... We've got, but we also have a lot of in-kind sponsors. Yeah. So, Appen's... And, and then the time yeah. from the linguists? Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> that the far and away is our biggest. If you if you you can go on our website and see our accounts, they're all openly available. And if you look at our accounts, like that's the biggest budget line in the yes. accounts yeah. is the is the donation from the linguists. Yeah. We're translating somewhere between twenty and thirty million words a year right now, and so that translates into quite a lot of money. Yeah, I'm very yeah. grateful to them. That's that's amazing. And what 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 is what is the immediate item of business right now like what do you need right now what are you working on right now and 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 really this is just a broad question to of course are you really looking for more linguists are you looking for more donors what specifically what, what kind of information do you need right now for a project that you're working on so that people know if they want to help how they can so funding is always an issue and funding is always going to be an issue for a nonprofit organization. One of the things we do that we started to do in the last couple of years is we get funding from governments, from the British government, from the German government, from the US government. That funding is public funding and so it costs a lot to implement it. It costs more than we get. But it's very large, not very large, but, you know, it's significant funding. And that means we can scale and we can have, you know, impact in hundreds of thousands. But we lose money doing it. Like, it costs us more to implement. So what we try to do is leverage the funding that we get from the industry, from everybody else, from the individuals, so that we can take grants like that and have really huge impact. We always need linguists. We always need low-resource linguists. Also, there's training courses that are always good for us to have. So we I do a training course right now on humanitarian interpretation and tra humanitarian translation. And there are a number of organizations around the industry like Gala, who provide training for our teams, that is, you know, super helpful. Yeah, super good. And and, and talking about impact, mm -hmm. I know that you also do a lot of on-site visiting and, and travel. I remember the war in Ukraine just started, and that you were there. I heard, I think it from someone else, and uh, and I thought that was incredible. So, speaking of impact, how has this work impacted you on a personal level? So throughout my career, I started my international development, international humanitarian career responding to the war in Tajikistan. So a long time ago, kind of ages me that. But anyway, and I, I got the job basically because I spoke Russian and for you know, very little other reason, to be honest. And when I got there, my job was to work with Tajiks and Uzbeks and Kyrgyz who spoke Russian but much preferred to speak Kyrgyz, Uzbek, and Tajik. Yeah. And so I was having to hire interpreters 
<laughs> to interpret from Russian into those languages so that we could support those organizations. And that was, that was you know, my first experience in international aid. Throughout the next, what, 30 years, that just kept happening. You know, I would go to a country, I'd go to an Arabic... Yeah. And there's a bomb. There's yeah, and, and it, was always, it was always the language barrier. It was always... In South Sudan, I asked some, one of our team, one of our South Sudanese staff, what was written on the back of a T-shirt. And he said, I don't know, that's in New Air. You know? And I realized, we're not even trying. You know, the aid industry wasn't even trying to communicate in the right languages. And so... For me, when I found out about Translators Without Borders, as it was at the time, it really like, resonated. I just thought, oh my gosh, this, is, this has the potential to be absolutely transformative in the aid world. Like that last mile, like last mile of health, last mile of education, last mile of everything. The biggest barrier is that people can't understand and because, because they speak low resource languages and we speak colonial languages. That's a really interesting new way to look at it, not just that you're, you're providing a service for one, one of the elements of humanitarian aid, but it comes into play at every single element of humanitarian aid. It's not just another type of, and that you're, you're trying to stretch these bottlenecks and make sure that everything gets delivered. That, that, that's, that's a bigger impact than I thought that you were having, and I always find it fun to see you walk around these events because linguists and, and business people profess that they really, really understand a culture and that they can do a good job in, in sharing and communicating between those cultures. But the, the traveling that you've done, the places that you've seen and, and where you've been, I think makes you on that level maybe more of an expert than anyone here. <laughs> oh, I don't think I would say that. <laughs> I think I just... I'm just speaking personally. I think that what you what you've been doing is so amazing, and you don't really step into the spotlight, but I think you deserve it, and especially in terms of what Clear Global does and TWB, of course. So thank you for that. Thank you for being here really and doing linguist. the work. It's really the linguists who should be in the spotlight. They're so humble. <laughs> no, you know you can't do anything alone. You do everything as a team, and we are very, very fortunate. I'm very fortunate to have a great team, and we are very fortunate to have the support of the hundred thousand linguists who volunteer for us and this industry thank you and thank you to the 100,000 linguists out there <laughs> thanks so much thank you so much yeah. thank you to multilingual yeah. thank you thank you for listening to localization today to subscribe to multilingual magazine go to multilingual.com slash subscribe